So three years ago, two days before we said goodbye to 2019 and stepped into 2020, I stood right here and I said something like, here we are, we find ourselves on the precipice of another year, trying to probably sound intelligent. I said, take a deep breath. This one is sure to be full of a whole new set of challenges. And I said, how do we prepare for that? Oh, little did we know. Little did we know what we were stepping into. Did you experience any challenges in 2020? A couple? What about 21? Maybe 22? What I'd like to do this morning is revisit that day at the dawn of 2020, and in sort of like a, a Dickens novel, you know, uh, like the, the ghost from Christmas past, let's look at New Year's past and see it now in a new light, in light of all the turmoil that we've been through, in light of that bumpy road, in light of uh, the conflict that we've seen overseas and at the border and, and in our backyards, in our own cities, in light of this, the celebration of the things that should be condemned and the castigating of what is right and true and good, let's, let's allow ourselves to be taken back to God's word. What was spoken to us in those last few days of 2019, would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans, I love Romans, and chapter 12 in particular, and would you stand with me as we read from God's word together? The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now skip down to verse 9. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And we'll land it right there. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Three years ago, the message began by me saying, this next year, we're going to have our share of storms. <laughs> We've all experienced what it's like to get ready for a big trip. You make all those plans. You, you, you pack the car. You check the map. The roads are clear. There's no rain in sight. Tires are inflated. This is going to be a great one. And yet somehow, some way, trouble still finds you. This, just this past week, uh, my wife and I, we took the family out to Palm Desert to go to the Living Desert Zoo. I mean, when it's raining here, that's where, where we tend to go because we just are addicted to sunshine. And so we were run, running out there on the 91 freeway, and then we get this alert. Traffic is building, right? 
And we're like, no, no sweat. Okay, this is going to be a little, set, settle in. In fact, I was like, you know what? Let's, let's plan our bathroom stop now because, you know, we don't get trapped in the middle of nowhere and then, you know, the kids are crying. So we, 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 we kept going and then kept checking the map and realized that, okay, now it's going to be another hour. Now it's two hours. Now it's two and a half, two and a half hours. We've already been in the car for like an hour and 15 minutes. How long is it going to take us? And, and are we going to get there in time for even the zoo to still be open there? And, and at one point we realized, you know what, we're, we're not. So we need to have a change of plans. So we changed plans. We said, well, we haven't been up to Oak Glen in a while, so let's, let's head up to Oak Glen. So we drive up to Oak Glen, and uh, we, we, we try to make that bathroom stop. We stop at a coffee shop and realize, oh, there's no bathroom there. Okay, now we got to go somewhere else. And now, like, you know, what, what's going on here? We drive up to Oak Glen, and, and it's just like in a cloud. And we realize, like, the, the, the place that I used to go to as a child so many times where there's all these memories of drinking apple cider and fresh apples and petting deer and those kind of things, that's not going to happen on this trip because every single place was closed. We drive around Oak Glen, don't even get out of the car, and, and, and we stop at a parking lot, and we're like, what are we, we going to do? And we realize, nope, this is just one of those trips that went totally wrong, so we're heading home. And we were in the car for like three and a half hours, and uh, things did not go as planned. You've experienced something like that before, haven't you? And we don't want to be naive. Trouble is just par for the course in this world, isn't it? Job 5, 7 says, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. Sparks, yeah, you, you have a campfire and those sparks are going upward. Yeah, so we're going to have trouble in this world. It's the same, same thing. It's a sure thing. In Job 14, 1, it says, man is born of a woman is, a few, day, a few, is few of days and full of trouble. It's just part of the game. Everyone figures that out at some point. And since that, that horrific bad decision that our great, 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 great grandparents made back in Genesis 3, the struggle, hardship, misfortune, tragedy, all of these different things, there are unwelcome house guests. <laughs> they're, they're just here. And this is why we have those, those little platitudes like Murphy's Law, Right? Because everyone knows, like, yeah, it, it probably will go wrong. Everyone's got trouble. But the Bible tells us that if you're a follower of Jesus, well, you have trouble on a whole different level now. Jesus said to his disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation. These disciples, in, in some way, were, were in a, a similar place as, as we are, kind of standing in the gap. They're, they're about to step into the unknown. For three years, they had spent time with Jesus. He taught them, he led them, took care of them, did miraculous things. Well, he was with them, but now he's about to leave them. And I can just imagine some of those disciples, if, I, if, I, if they're like me, this is going through their heads. I mean, what, what do you mean you're leaving 
<laughs> no, you're not leaving, Jesus. You're not leaving. How do you expect us to go out on our own? I mean, who's going to calm the storms that, that inevitably come our way? Who's going to confront our enemies when they don't like what we say? Who's going to get us out of those sticky situations? How are we going to do this without you? And I think that's a legitimate concern. Because as they walked with Jesus, time and time again, they realized this ministry is not without trouble here. Those who followed him, they saw their fair share of opposition. And if they were to walk in his footsteps and carry the torch down, well, there's a good chance that they were going to share in that opposition as well. In fact, Jesus had told them that in John 15, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said, said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Boy, that's comforting, isn't it? What a way to start 2023. They persecuted your Savior. They're going to persecute you also. But you see, that's, that's, that's just the nature of living in a world that has turned its back on God now that you have turned back to God. Paul told us that we were, we were enemies of God back in Romans 5.10. But that changed when we came to trust in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10. Well, we were enemies... Uh, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When, when you place your trust in Jesus Christ, the miraculous thing that happens is your relationship with God is restored. You're reconciled. It's made right but that also affects your relationship with the world around you, doesn't it? You're now an ally, a friend. You belong to the one that they still hate. And so it's just basic math. It's common sense. So we shouldn't be surprised when we meet with resistance and trouble. That's what 1 John 3.13 tells us. Don't be surprised, brother brothers, that the world hates you. And yet I think so very often we, we are surprised. What do, what do you mean? Why am I met with this resistance? Why, why is this happening? And we're facing it more and more these days. You know, there was a time where we experienced a season of, of relative ease, relative prosperity here in the United States. In a lot of ways, Christian values, they, they kind of permeated I mean, sure, not everyone was Christian, and all kinds of sinful stuff is happening, but there was kind of a baseline here. In fact, even in some of our courthouses in front of them stood the Ten Commandments. Judeo-Christian culture here. We lived at a time where being a Christian, it was a relatively easy thing to do because the rest of our society thought and behaved uh, in such a way that somewhat aligned. But all that's changed. It's different now. In fact, just holding to Christian convictions or even just calling yourself a Christian 
pretty much guarantees that you're going to be met with resistance. More and more, we're faced with the reality that we're at a fork in the road. Either you're going to be faithful to God and his word, and you're going to stick out as some type of perplexing oddity and maybe even a threat to the world you now live in. Either you do that or you begin to loosen your grip or adjust your interpretation of the Bible so that you can flow within the cultural current. I don't know if you remember former pastor Joshua Harris. He, uh, he was in an interview uh, interviewing with Sojourner's Magazine, and, and he concluded this. He said, in, in a way, it's almost easier for me to contemplate throwing out all of Christianity than it is to keeping Christianity and adapting it to these different ways, meaning the, the new ways the culture is, is moving. Just before leaving Christianity entirely, Josh Harris, he was rethinking all of the sexual ethics and trying to figure out, how does this fit into the Bible? Is it possible to be faithful to the Bible and, and buy into all of the different changes that are going on in our world? And he came to a, a point where he just concluded, you can't do this. You can't mesh Christianity, or at least the Christianity of the Bible, and live the way the world is telling us to now live. Dr. Albert Moeller wrote in an article about Josh Harris. He said, there's no reconciliation possible between the biblical worldview and the modern secular worldview. He, that is Josh, understands that there is no halfway house. And in that sense, it is intellectually honest of him to understand that theological liberalism, which seeks to maintain some claim upon Christianity while repudiating its biblical truth claims, is unsustainable. And that's why Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, because it doesn't mesh. It can't mesh. It doesn't go hand in hand. You can't make it work. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. It's because he knew that honestly and faithfully following him, it was going to put you in direct opposition with the world you're living in. And it's true. In this world, in, in, in this year, if you and I are faithful to Christ, we're going to have trouble. So what do we do? How should we prepare for it? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. What does it mean to rejoice in hope? Jesus told his disciples that, that even though he would be leaving, a, a potentially hopeless situation that they're finding themselves in, I'm leaving but I'm sending a helper to you. I'm sending God's Holy Spirit. He's coming to you, and he will convict the world of sin. He's going to lead people to faith in Christ, and he's also going to be there for you, and he's going to guide you in all truth, and he's going to lead you to glorify me. So in other words, even though Christ would be leaving soon, there's hope. There was hope. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not uh, completely leaving you helpless. Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But then he quickly added, take heart. I have what? I've overcome the world. This is the great 
hope, my friends. It is that Christ came as a man, took upon himself our suffering and our guilt and our shame. He took the the root cause of human suffering upon himself as he carried the guilt of our sin upon his shoulders. He suffered. He died on that cross. And that's where he put it to death and then completely defeated it as he rose from the grave. Those who trust in him, free. Free from the shackles of sin and the destination that it takes us. Free from from evil. Free from all that it brings, all the side effects of sin. Jesus Christ is our hope. That's where our joy is found. That's where we need to to live out our days in that that mindset and that understanding and that reality. As we experience troubles of many kinds, that's where our focus needs to continually be. And that's why we keep gathering together every Sunday morning to remind ourselves of that, that we might live in that, that we might celebrate it, that we might rejoice in it. Yes, my, my body is wearing out. Yes, I've got these financial woes over here. Yes, I, my job is at risk. I might lose this thing because of my faithfulness to Christ. But I've got Christ. First Peter takes us there. Maybe you'll remember this from our study. 1 Peter 1, 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you what? You rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is hope. There is joy. Amen? (laughs) This is is joy that is invincible because the hope that we have is invincible. It's sure. It's definitive. And it's all because of Jesus. Those who trust in him, they've been born again into this living hope. Those who, they have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, it's unfading. Yes, there are trials. But even as they come, joy is unshaking because we know that through the trials, our faith is proved genuine. If someone handed me a gold brick, first thing I would do, but the first thing I'd be do is like, whoa. <laughs> Second thing I would do would be to think, I don't know if this is real. And so I'd take it to be tested. And through the various things that would be done to it, it would be either proven to be the real deal or or something else. And that's exactly what the trials and the troubles, the opposition that you experience does for you. 
Is your faith proven to be the genuine deal? I like what Pastor John Piper wrote. He said, for those who know and trust Jesus Christ, tribulation does not destroy joy. It drives the roots of joy down deep into hope. I think of one of the low points of my life where I laid flat down on the ground, totally helpless, totally at God's mercy, and yet knowing full well that Christ was my one and only hope. Joy was driving me deeper down into hope, even as I tasted the nasty carpet of that youth room floor. <laughs> so rejoice when your faith is tested. It pushes you closer to Jesus the one in whom your hope is found in the first place. Rejoice in the hope that you've been given. Rejoice because your hope, your faith, it continues to endure during those times. And when it does, it's evidence that this is real. It's real. As, as I get older now, and as I see my, my parents age, and all of us are getting older, and we know that there is a, there is a, a line that we are going to come up against and, and it's, it's, it's the end. And you start to wonder, like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> do I actually believe this? You know what? When you go through trials and you're turning to Jesus, may you be reminded your faith is the real deal. And you are ready for that day. How do we prepare for this this? this journey into 2023. Well, how did we do it for preparing for 2020? We didn't know it was coming in 2020. We rejoice in hope. And we do it every day. That's why we get up early. That's why we make a point to spend time in God's Word. I don't care if you read the whole Bible in a year. I don't care if you set all the... Your goal should just be, I need to spend time with God, period. I need to worship Him today. I need to hear from his truth today so that I can be prepared to walk in joy and hope today. We need to be doing that all the time. We need to be gathering together with God's people. This is what our community groups are about. Our, our, our church families getting together so that they're encouraging one another because we know hard times have come and they will continue to come. We need each other to remind each other of that hope. We need to commit ourselves to being here Gathering together as the people of God on Sunday mornings so that we might rejoice together in the hope that we have begin, been given. Rejoice in hope. And as we do, we're enabled to do the second thing, and that is patiently endure the times of trouble. One of the more beautiful, more moving songs sung around Christmas. I love this song. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's beautiful in melody. The, the words are beautiful, too. This, this is a song of hope. This is a, a song of longing. It, it's a song which looks forward to the coming of the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in, in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. This is a song of the exiles. It's a song of those who are longing for a Savior, longing for the promised Messiah. And in the midst of that longing, what does the song say? 
Rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. In the waiting, there is joy. In those in-between moments of life that we hate so much with a passion, there is joy. There is the ability to wait and endure with patient joy because God, we know, is faithful. Though it has not arrived yet, <laughs> these people could be sure that God was going to come through on his promises. So rejoice. We now stand on the other side of that. Hope has come. Christ has come. God has come through on his promise. Jesus Christ has been given to us. We have incredible, rock-solid hope. Yet, we're still in a type of exile here, aren't we? We feel it more and more, don't we? <laughs> we're waiting. <laughs> we're waiting for the day when Christ will come again when he's going to take us home. We're waiting for the day when at long last we'll be with our Savior in paradise, enjoying that full inheritance, that imperishable inheritance that is there waiting for us. We're waiting. But because of the hope we have, we wait expectantly. We, we, we wait with joy. We can wait patiently because Christ is our sure and certain hope. As, as we stepped into 2020, and, and, and we're now hours into 2023, let's go in with our minds. Even though trouble may be on our way, our minds fixed on the hope that we have in Christ. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, finally be constant in prayer. Prayer, isn't it? It's, it's the ultimate way that we demonstrate our hope and our trust and our reliance on God. We pray, one reason we pray is because of who God is. We pray because of God's greatness. Second Chronicles 6.14 says, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. There's, there's no one like him. No one like him in, in knowledge. No one like him in intelligence. No one like him in wisdom. No one, no one who's even close to as capable as he is. When King Solomon was, was building the temple, he wrote this, The house that I am to build will be great. No doubt about it. For God is greater than all gods. But who's able to build him a house? Since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him. Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? That, that's, that's all this, this is. That's the best this can possibly be. As, as much money as I throw into this thing, as many hours that I put into erecting this incredible this incredible structure, it, 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 it very best, all it can be is just a place where people meet to worship this God. It can't contain him. Solomon was keenly aware of God's greatness. He knew that no matter how great this thing is, there's no way it can contain, no way it can, can match or even be worthy of God's greatness. God is great. We need to remember that. Just as we needed to remember it in 2020, we need to remember it now. God is the great one, and so we turn to him. And we also need to remember that we, we turn to him not only because he's great, but because he's sovereign. He's in control. 
boy, we got to hold on to this. We find ourselves so often in the grip of anxiety because we feel like things are, are just spinning out of control, circling the drain. <laughs> you know, God is never anxious, never filled with anxiety. That's something that's, that's totally unique to him. No one else, no one else experiences this. There, there are no heroes. There are no celebrities, politicians, presidents, even kings that escape anxiety. That's because none of them are are really and truly sovereign. None of them is in complete control. Even, even in Proverbs 21.1, it tells us the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Even the most sacred space inside of of, of someone that, that people might call a sovereign king, it's, it's not completely his, his or her own. Not fully in their control. Whose control is it in? God calls the shots. So when you look at, round at your world and you see the evil out there, you see those dark hearts and they're conjuring mischief, when you identify those people who are true enemies of all that is good, maybe even they're seeking to destroy you outright, know that their hearts aren't even their, their own. Ultimately, God can move them where he wills, just like he did the heart of Pharaoh. So be constant in prayer. When you feel panicky, when you feel powerless, Turn to the one who is absolutely sovereign. Pray because of who God is. But you know what? Pray also because who we know we are. We're needy, aren't we? We're frail. I don't like admitting that, but it is so true. Even the strongest of us are weak. You don't have to live long to see that. From the moment a baby is born, those parents know immediately that if they don't take care of this thing, it's not going to make it. We're frail. Maybe you watched a movie during, during the break. Maybe you watched a, a White Christmas. <laughs> we see these people who are so talented, so beautiful, maybe intelligent, maybe powerful, charismatic characters. And we're reminded as we're watching, at least I am, most of these people are dead. They're gone. And even the current movies that, that, that we watch, so many of these characters that the, the, the Hollywood props up as these great figures, their lives are disasters. The anxiety that they're riddled with, the depression, the illnesses that, that, that we don't even know about yet. We're all of us, the best of us, fading, dying, decaying. That's one of the reasons we need to be in constant prayer. Because we're needy. In fact, not only are we needy, but whether or not we recognize it, we're, we're totally dependent on God and his goodness. Not a thing about us that we can take credit for. James 1.16 says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Thank God for that. 
Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so every, every, everything that, that we are, everything that I am, which is nobody, everything, everything that you are is nothing of your own doing. You didn't wish yourself into existence. You didn't create this world with all of its beauty and all of its resources that allow you to have the things that you have, the shelter over your heads, the vehicles that get you from place to place, the stuff that's in your bank accounts, the food that's in your cabinets and refrigerators, the technology that may be in your pocket. None of it we can take credit for. And then for those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, we know that we can't take credit for that either. The people on the outside, they look at us and they think, what a bunch of stuck-up people that think they're holier than thou, and they're so good, and, and you know, they're, yeah, they're hanging out with God, and, you know, they live all these perfect lives. We on the inside know it's quite the opposite, don't we? We know how flawed. We know how dark. In fact, I'm increasingly made, made aware of how dark this self of mine is and how great a need of transformation it is. And we look to the cross, and we go, it's all because of you, Jesus, that I am anything. Oh, but if those outside could see that and know that they too, whose lives are so messy, can come to the foot of that cross and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Transform me. Make me into something new. <laughs> Colossians 1.16 tells us that even the molecules in our bodies, the atoms, the protons, the, the, the neutrons, the electrons, they, they hold together because of Christ. We're completely at his mercy, completely dependent on him. And so we have to reason that if God is the source of all things, and if he's absolutely in control of all things, and if we're needy, and if we're totally dependent upon God's goodness for our existence, doesn't it just make sense that we should be constantly in prayer? Because if we're not, God says we think we've got this without him. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Three, three years ago, we said 2019 might be in the rearview mirror, but before us lies a journey. Are we ready for it? Here we are at the dawn of 2023. Question is the same. Are we ready for this? That doesn't mean we know what's coming. But we know that being ready for this is, is, is diving in deeper and becoming more intimate with our Lord and Savior, and being fortified and built up with his word, and walking in line with the Holy Spirit and in the Spirit's power. As you and I step forward into the unknown, into the uncertain, maybe the, the intimidating, the scary, the anxiety-inducing days ahead, let's rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. We don't know what the future holds, but boy, do we know the one who holds our future. We know that if our trust is in Christ, our future is secure. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him because we're weak. He's strong. Because he's in control, 
we're not. And because every good and perfect gift comes from the one who flung those stars into the night sky. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. And let's begin by coming to this table, which reminds us of how this all started. Our journey with Christ begins with his work on the cross. With those